of us, and we ask that you would, you would use uh, these gifts uh, to shape our hearts and to transform your world for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So about a year and a year ago, I guess, I planted a fig tree in our backyard. Uh, and I do things with this fig tree that I don't do with other plants and trees in our yard. When there's the threat of frost, I come out and I make sure that I cover it with a blanket so that frost doesn't hurt it. I was we'll go and I, I talk with the nursery that's just around our corner to find out how to best care for it. And they said, oh, you need to plant another fig tree right beside it because they'll both thrive better when they can cross-pollinate. And so I make sure I planted another tree and I'm out there being sure that I prune it correctly and thinking about how do I fertilize it. Um, why, do I, why do I do this? I, I don't do this to our crepe myrtle trees in the, the front yard or these evergreen pine trees or dogwoods in the back. Um, the reason why is because uh, I'm looking for fruit. I want figs. I didn't plant these back there because I like fig leaves. I'm not looking for fig tree shade. I'm not looking to construct anything out of fig tree wood. The purpose and the reason that I've planted these trees is because I want the fruit. I'm a fig farmer and I want to eat the figs and share them with my family. Uh, it's As we look through the, the scriptures, there's... Uh, the descriptions and, and uh, the way that Jesus talks about about our Heavenly Father is He's described uh, in many places as a as a, a gardener, as a vine dresser, uh, as a, a, a farmer. Um, uh, particularly in uh, John uh, chapter 15, as Jesus is, is talking about uh, God, He specifically talks about Him in, in that way as being a, a vine dresser who is seeking to cultivate and produce fruit in the lives of his people. Uh, and, and incidentally, in that passage, as Jesus is describing and what he's talking about there, uh, there's a big emphasis that's placed on one particular kind of fruit, the fruit of love that God is seeking to, to produce in the lives of his, of his people. Uh, that would make sense. I mean, remember when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, his response was, Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God is seeking to produce and cultivate the fruit of love in His people. Um, if, if we look back over Genesis um, and, and our time studying and looking at that together, we can see God's work as this cultivator of of fruit in the lives of his people. He's been active through, we've seen his sovereign uh, plan unfolding. God is using both plenty, he's using famine, he's using suffering, he's using uh, um, good experiences and success in the lives of his people. Everything is coming about as he's shaping uh, the, the people of God as, they've, uh, as they're moving forward for the purpose, not just for themselves to experience the benefits of this fruit, but for His glory as His mission of rescue and restoration goes forward. That their fruit might bear witness to Him and His goodness 
and might uh, result in the restoring work of, uh, of all things. Uh, this morning, we want to look uh, at, at our passage. To, uh, this week, we're going to be in chapter 44 and 45 of Genesis. Um, remember, this is uh, the time where the, the brothers of Joseph have been going back and forth from Canaan to Egypt and back to get food in the midst of this famine that's going on. And what we've, been, we've seen is God is at work uh, shaping His people, breaking things down in their hearts. Why? Because God is after the fruit of love. And so what we want to look at in this passage this morning is to see from that angle of God's the, the cultivator of the fruit of love, how He's seeking to have it expressed in the lives of His people. What we can learn about that as God's people now of why would God seek to have love be demonstrated and shown in our, in our hearts. So if you would, look to, uh, to Genesis chapter 44. If you're, you want to follow along in one of the Bibles there in your chairs, uh, that'll be on page 38. And we're going to go all the way through uh, verse 15 of chapter 45 this morning. Um, so uh, let's uh, pick up there in... Uh, in verse 44. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the, man, the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up! Follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it, not from, uh, is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to, to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we bought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also shall be uh, my Lord's servants. He said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant. And the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. And each man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes. And every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man who's in, uh, in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. 
His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother, go, uh, if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my brother, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then his life is bound up in the boy's life. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which we will, there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. We, Father, we thank you for your... Uh, your faithful and persistent work uh, in our hearts and in our lives. Um, we pray that this morning we would see your uh, commitment to producing this fruit of love in us. Uh, move us to long for it more and to call upon the Holy Spirit to change 
us uh, as you work in and through us. Uh, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what we want to do as we work our way through this passage is to see the ways that God is cultivating this fruit of love in his people and the different ways that it's expressed. Uh, the first way that we'll, we'll see how God has been at work and how love is being produced is we see it here expressed, love is being expressed through forgiveness. Uh, notice uh, in uh, verse 5 of, of chapter 45, Joseph's uh, response to his, to his brothers Uh, He's just revealed to them in verse 3 that he's Joseph. And it tells us that they were dismayed and couldn't even answer him. And Joseph says this in 4 and 5, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What? What in the world? What? I mean... A couple of weeks ago, we saw that Joseph wasn't going to enact revenge on his brothers, that he he had all of the power and authority to just wipe and destroy these guys, to make them suffer physically for all that they had done for him, to him, not for him. They didn't do anything for him. Uh, They wished him dead. They thought about murdering him to advantage themselves. They sold him into slavery. And Joseph has suffered for over 20 years separated from his family. Surely at this point, if I'm not going to make you suffer physically, I can at least make you suffer emotionally. And I'm going to hold this over you for the rest of your life. And I'm not going to let you forget the pain that you brought to me. Now I have the power to make you hurt. And I'm going to do it. Because what you didn't, you didn't care for me, you didn't think about me, and so now I'm going to respond in kind. No, not it, not at all. Joseph sees the dismay and despair, the shame and burden on his brothers, and he says this. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. There's, in our family, we've been trying to work on confession and repentance and forgiveness uh, with one another before God. And so, you know, we'll walk through times with the kids for them to confess their sin before us and before before our our Heavenly Father when we have times of discipline or, or whatever happens. But also what happens is we sin against our kids. And we have to come and ask their, their forgiveness. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come to them and say, you know, I'm, Daddy's really sorry that I spoke to you that way. Uh, I'm, uh, I should not have, have done that. And will you please forgive me? That was very wrong for, for me to do that. Will you please forgive Daddy? And, you know, they'll say yes. But, but what I end up seeing is as I feel this shame and this guilt still for how I treated them and it's still weighing on my mind and a little while later even that same day I'll come back and I'll be like Adelaide Beckett daddy is so sorry I'm so sorry for what I did and they'll look at me and they'll say this daddy we already forgave you why do you keep asking us 
what's going on there? As they have forgiven me out of their concern for me, they wouldn't articulate it this way, but I'm seeing the gospel demonstrated in there that they're saying, because you've been forgiven, there's no need to beat yourself up anymore. And I love you, therefore I've forgiven you. And because I love you, I don't want you to experience the burden and pain that comes from your shame. You've been forgiven. Here, what do we see with Joseph? Forgiveness is coming towards these brothers. So much so that Joseph is concerned when he sees their hurt and pain. And out of his love and his care for them, he says, do not be angry with yourselves. I've forgiven you. Don't beat yourself up. Sure, you sold me into slavery, but that has been forgiven. I love you. Do not hurt. What kind of work is God doing in Joseph's heart and in his life that this would be the response to the guys who sold him into slavery? Love is being cultivated and expressing itself in forgiveness. It's not, it's not just in Joseph. Look at, look at Judah. Judah is becoming more and more of a, a central character in this, uh, this narrative, in this passage, and we're seeing why here. Uh, but this, this speech that Judah gives from, uh, from verse 18 all the way down through uh, verse 34, uh, if you go back and, and have a chance to read it again, two, two people are the focus of this speech this whole time that Judah's talking with Joseph. Father is mentioned 14 times. Uh, brother or boy or the younger one is mentioned another uh, 13 times. What's on Judah's heart as he's given this speech to Joseph is his father, Jacob, and specifically the relationships there between Jacob and, and Benjamin. Uh, and listen to what's driving why Judah is stepping forward and why he's stepping up to try to secure the life and safety of Benjamin. Notice what he says in verses uh, 30 and 31, why these words keep, keep coming up. What is on Judah's heart? Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. And then in verse 34, he says this, For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear the evil that would find my father. What's on Judah's heart here? This compassion? This concern for Jacob? Remember who Jacob is and how Jacob has responded and treated jo Judah. Jacob is one who uh, shows favoritism over and over. We've seen this among his wives, among his children. Judah is not even viewed in Jacob's speech as being a son. It, according to, from Jacob's perspective, he has two sons, one that's gone and now it's Benjamin. And Judah right now has the, in his power the ability to make Jacob hurt. You've robbed me of your affection and your pleasure, and you've treated me as if I'm not a son. And now I have the opportunity to make you hurt. You wanted to love Joseph more than me and the other brothers? We dealt with that. Now you're doing the same thing to Benjamin? 
we'll do the same thing and I'm going to make you hurt for what you've done to me. But what has the, the cultivator of love been doing in Judah's heart? Remember, we've seen God shaping Judah and moving Judah. Judah's been transforming. Judah's experienced what it means to lose a son. Judah didn't lose just one son. Judah lost two sons back during the, the interaction and that, the, where we saw that episode with, with Tamar. Judah's sons both were, were lost justly in punishment of their sin. Here, what Jacob's experiencing is the unjust loss of his children. But Judah, as God's working this compassion in his heart, Judah sees the hurt and pain of his father. And it's this hurt and pain of his father that's motivating Judah to do what he does to avoid Jacob experiencing any more hurt and pain. And Jacob has yet to confess his favoritism. Judah's love that God is working in his heart, demonstrating itself in forgiveness, that now he's not concerned with holding uh, Jacob account for his wrongs and keeping that list of sins and wanting to hold it against him. But he's, he's forgiven. He's overlooking. And now he's seeking to show love and compassion and seeking Judah's best, or Jacob's best interest in the midst of the pain and suffering that he's experienced. What's driving Judah here in this forgiveness is love. You see, Judah and Joseph both have experienced God's love and their presence with him. God has communicated and showed his faithfulness to them, uh, that he, uh, he loves and is going to be with them. And it's out of response to God's love and being present with them that they're now this love is being produced and they are responding with love of forgiving those who have deeply and greatly wronged them for a lifetime. What, what about you and, and me? To think about how God has demonstrated His love in forgiving us. This call to forgiveness is not something that God is saying you do and I don't do. How have we experienced God's love as He has poured out His love on us, forgiving us in Jesus? The response of how, remember, God the love cultivator. Part of the way that God cultivates love in us is through His continued reminding and forgiving us in Jesus. Remember one time Jesus had this interaction um, with people were wondering why He was hanging out with this sinful woman. And Jesus said, who loves more? person who's been forgiven a lot or a person who's been forgiven little? And they rightly answered, the person who's been forgiven a lot loves a lot. You see, as God forgives us, He's working out this love in our hearts and the proper expression of it in us should be shown out in forgiveness of, of other people. Because in light of the love that's been extended to us, the forgiveness that's extended to us, does it not only make sense that we would show it out in forgiving Forgiving others? And look at what's been forgiven here. Murder, at least in their hearts, sold into slavery, abandonment, rejection, favoritism, disowning. Forgiveness comes. The New Testament tells us we were forgiven when we were enemies, rebels against God, and He poured out His, His love on us. The response should be, as we see this, as believers, 
If you are trusting and hoping in Jesus, if you've been forgiven by Him, that means there's nothing that we should be unable to forgive. We must, if we have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, forgive anyone who has sinned against us. Because the question then would come to us if we're, we're hardening our hearts and we're resisting forgiving, as we're seeing here, maybe we need to question and begin to look. Is the love of God actually in me? Do I really love my Heavenly Father if I'm unable to love and demonstrate and display the fruit of, of, of love through my forgiveness of others? Um, several years ago, uh, over in uh, England, a man named Simon Pretty was diagnosed with leukemia. Uh, and in order to to be healed and saved, uh, he needed a bone marrow transplant. And the most likely place that, that it would come, because it was been, the kind that he had, it would have been very rare for there to be a good match of the bone marrow, would most likely come from someone he was related to. And it just so happened that Simon Pretty had a sister named Helen. You see, there was a problem. Simon's father showed him a lot more favor uh, than he ever showed to, uh, to Helen. So much so that he even seemed to pour out his love and affection more on Simon than he even did his, his wife as well. And this led to great animosity and conflict within the relationship that Simon had with his sister Helen. And when this diagnosis came out... Uh, that uh, he was going to be in need of a bone marrow transplant, and he came to talk to his sister, her response was, well, I guess I'm your only hope now. And as it went on, uh, wondering, was she going to help? Was she going to help save his life and go through this bone marrow thing? Um, which would have cost her a little bit. She'd have been sick for about a week. She eventually said, mm, I can't do it, even though they knew she was a match. She said, I can't do it. I need to focus on my life and my family. Simon and his wife pled with his sister, going there, pleading outside of her home. The sister would forcefully remove them. They went to the mother and asked the mother to intercede. And the mother's response? Well, I guess some people die sooner than others. Uh... They waited to the last possible moment, pleading with her, and she continued to the very end to refuse to donate her bone marrow to save Simon, and he died. How much do you have to hate someone to withhold forgiveness, to seek to... Uh, to in the, the midst when they're struggling and they're suffering, to come to them and forgive. How much do you have to hate someone in that instance to not want to give and use your life to save their life? Hate is a good word to describe what was going on there. That was used in the article and the descriptions of people were talking about what was being said. What do we... What do we see here in this passage? Not just that love is expressed through forgiveness, but this, this picture of sacrifice of giving your life 
is also how the fruit of love that God's producing in us is expressed in the lives of His people and what He's seeking to produce. Do you, do you see this with, with Judah here? Notice in, in verse 33, after he goes through this speech and he's, he's pleading with, with Joseph to, to of why Benjamin can't be the one that stays. Judah says this, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back to be with his brothers. Judah's saying, I'm going to give my life for Benjamin. I'm going to put myself in the place to where I will become the slave so that he can go free. What kind of transformation is occurring in Judah to see this happen? Remember, Judah was the one, we saw this a couple weeks ago, who he was interested. The only reason he didn't kill Joseph is because he could sell him and make money. But we see God changing his heart to where a few weeks ago, Judah was the one who put his entire fortune up, saying, uh, my possessions aren't worth keeping me away from showing love and compassion to my brothers. Now we get to the place where Judah very easily could have said, given the option. Remember what Joseph said back over uh, as he was uh, as he was talking with them. Uh, Far be it from me to, to do this, he says in verse 17. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be your servant. But as for you... Go up in peace to your father. The perfect opportunity is before them. They can all go in peace and let the favorite of Jacob rot as a, as a servant in Egypt forever. Jacob, or Jacob will never know. The two that, that take and suck all the love and affection would be gone. They would experience peace. But no. The work that God is doing in Judah's life brings him to a place to where Judah can say, I'm going to give my life for Benjamin. What, what a display of love. What kind of transformation has occurred to go from, from a seller of human life to a redeemer and a savior of human life? But it's, it's not just... Judah, notice, notice Joseph here. Look back up in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 45, when Joseph is talking to his, to his brothers. He says to this, this to them, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He brings this concept up again about God being the one who sent him here. Look in verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Again in verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has sent Joseph here to preserve their lives. That's what he's saying. God has sent me here to preserve life, to, to preserve for you a remnant, for you to have further offspring in what's going on. So Joseph 
out of no choice of his own, gets packed up and sent to Egypt, sent into slavery, suffered unjustly in prison for almost 20 years? For these guys? Are they worth this? Me experiencing the loss of my life and my freedom and my family for them? These guys are worthless. But the work that God is doing in Joseph's life, he reflects back on God sovereignly being the one who brings him here. To saying, Joseph, I'm going to use you and your life and your suffering for the sake of others. Here we see Joseph joyfully and gladfully, gladly embracing this calling, embracing this purpose that God's saying, Joseph, I'm calling you to give your life. Joseph, I'm calling you to sacrifice your life. You see, sometimes we hear of uh, the the verses where God says all things work for good for those who, who love Him. Sometimes, though, what we're seeing here in this passage in Genesis and what you may be experiencing in your life is that good that God's talking about, you might not experience right now. What God may be calling you and me to is He's working out this fruit of love and producing it in our lives is that He's actually calling us to suffer and to sacrifice and to give our lives not for our own betterment, but for the, for the benefit of others. For the furtherance of His promise and His mission and His work that He's doing in others' lives. He's actually asking His people to give their lives for the sake of others. How could He do this? How fair is that? What kind of jerk is God? That He would lure us in with His promises of His goodness and His love only to put us in a situation like that? Except that when we begin to look back at the character of our God and the way that He cultivates His love in us and through us is that what God's asking us to do here He has actually done Himself for us. Romans 5 tells us that God's love for us is demonstrated that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He gave His life for us. That passage that I was talking about before when Jesus was teaching about God, the cultivator of of fruit and love, Jesus says that greater love has no, no one than to give their life for someone else. God is saying to us, His people, I have given my life for you. I love you. And in response, as you begin to experience the work that I'm doing in your heart and your life, you're going to begin to realize that what I'm calling you to do is to be an expresser and show forth the fruit of love as it And it may mean that you have to give yourself for others. It may mean that you have to die for the sake of others to demonstrate and show that love. It might not mean that uh, you give your life physically to someone, for someone. For some of us, that may be, be a calling. 
But it may mean that we give up some of the things that we enjoy and find satisfaction and fulfillment in. And God's saying, no, I'm asking you to set these things aside so that you can show forth and pour yourself out and love others. It may mean that you give up your reputation and you don't defend and always seek to, to make sure you're, uh, you're always the one on top, but you set your desires aside, your agenda aside, your purposes aside, your life aside for the sake of others. Because that's showing forth the fruit of love that God's working in us. And what we've seen already is that God is intent on producing this in the lives of His people. Sometimes God does that through uh, reminding us of His love. Sometimes God produces love like we're seeing in Joseph and Judah through suffering and struggle. But in the midst, we're constantly reminded that God loves us. That He's the cultivator and worker of love in the lives of His people. One last thing. Not, Not only are we seeing love, this fruit of love expressed through forgiveness, this fruit of love expressed through sacrifice, but we also see it here, this fruit of love is expressed through reconciliation. Notice what Joseph says at the end of of chapter 45 as he's talking with his brothers. Hurry and go up to, to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Joseph is saying to Jacob, Joseph is saying to all of his brothers, I want you to come to me. I know you sent me away, brothers, and you didn't want to have anything to do. But because of what I've seen God doing and how he's been working in my life, my response to you is that, I want you to come near to me. God has shown His presence with me. God has been coming to me and being with me through my time in Potiphar's house, through my time in, uh, in, in prison. And now, in light of the forgiveness that has been shown, the sacrifice that has been shown, and the reconciliation that Joseph is demonstrating, he's showing forth this love. Notice how it, how it plays out the effect that it has in his, in his brothers. In verse 15, And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. You see, as, as love begins to be expressed through forgiveness, through sacrifice, through the pursuit of reconciliation, hearts and lives change. Back in uh, chapter 37, I don't know if you remember this or not. Um as it was describing to us the relationship that Joseph had with his brothers, it says this, But when the brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Yet here, the hatred has been swallowed up by love. And before, where they could not speak a peaceful word to him, they could not speak to Joseph, now, in the midst of everything that's going on, His brothers talked with him. 
reconciliation has occurred. The fruit of love is being demonstrated. Why is this so important for God's people? Why is this so important for you and me that the fruit of love be expressed in our hearts and lives through forgiveness, through sacrifice, through reconciliation? Is it not because this is what God is doing? Remember the great mission. We've been separated from Him. He's seeking to do a work of reconciliation, drawing us back to be with Him, to be present with Him, to be in relationship with Him. Where we were enemies, now we have restored and renewed fellowship. You see, the mission that God is doing, this great reconciling work through the death of Jesus to bring us back into a relationship with Him, if we as God's people are not showing forth the fruit of love evidence through reconciliation, then we're actually denying the truth of the gospel and the mission that God is on and that He's involved us in. Something for us to begin to think about as God's people here. What are we unwilling to forgive? Where in our lives right now are we unwilling to sacrifice and give our lives? Who are we resistant to pursuing reconciliation? Is it because of what, how someone's voted? Or what they've said? way that you, have, you didn't get invited to a certain party or function? The, the cold shoulder that you got in the midst of your hurt and your pain. The love of God poured out in our hearts and our lives not show us and motivate us in light of all that we've been forgiven, in light of all of how God has sacrificed for us, in light of how God has pursued us in the reconciling work of Jesus, that love would be expressed through that in our lives for His glory. It's the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You that Your love has been poured out in us. You have shown us Your love through Christ's death for us, through Your forgiving, Your sacrifice, and now we have reconciliation. Continue to work out the fruit of love as the great farmer and cultivator of fruit in Your people. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.